I did not sing so much this morning because I wanted to save my energy for now. But it was so good to hear you sing so good. It was just so good to hear you sing out like you did. Um, as you can see, our pastor's not with us, and so that's why I'm filling in. But um, I'd like to begin by just offering a small prayer. Our Father and our God, so thankful we can come to thee in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. And this is our simple prayer this morning, that you will help us to see how you see us as we live our lives day by day. For thy name's sake, we pray this mercy through Christ our Lord. Amen. When our Lord said, or when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the morning and the evening were the first day, then go over the space of time till our Lord occupies the throne of glory, on Judgment Day, the last day. Now, from the time that our Lord said the first day until the last day, if you compute 4,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ, and 2,000 years from Christ to the 20th century, you have 8,000 years. And in those 8,000 years, you have 2,920,000 days. But of all those days, there are only five days that are really important. Just five. And the first day was when There was a baby born in Bethlehem with the angels cried out and saying, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you this day is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The invisible God became visible. That was the first most important day. The second most important day was when this Emmanuel proved that he was Emmanuel by the authority of his voice. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. The dead obeyed him. The demonic host obeyed him. And then he was nailed to the cross, and all our ordinances that were against us were nailed to that cross. That was the second most important day. The third important day was when the grave could no longer hold him, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we know our debt has been paid in full and we have life because he gives us life because he's the living Savior. And the fourth great day was when he ascended into heaven. He did not need a spaceship. He ascended of his own. 
And we read in 1 Thessalonians, And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive shall be together in, with the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We shall be like him. We'll be able to travel through the heavens in the new bodies that he gives to us. And then the fifth great day is the last day, the day of judgment when the Lord Jesus occupies the throne of glory and will judge the nations. This was very much on the mind of the Apostle Paul as he wrote his last letter, at the end of his last letter to the church at Corinth, which gave him more trouble than any other church that he planted. He had ministered there for 18 months, 18 months. And in that time, as people, as uh, people uh, uh, heard the gospel, were converted and became part of the church and they would meet, never once did he get any financial support from them. But he earned his living by being a tent maker, but he worked with his own hands. But a little background might help to understand what was going on. In the first century, in the city of Corinth, it was considered one of the greatest cities of the Roman Empire. And then at the beginning of the second century, it was one of the richest cities in the Roman Empire, so much so that they were known as the Vanity Fair. Yes, the Vanity Fair. <clears throat> and <clears throat> um, in, in some respects, Corinth at that time was much like New York City today. And because of its two seaports, Ionian and Aegean, and land bridge to make it more convenient for ships to pass through rather than to have it go around to Cape Malia and in navigational waters, it became a great trading center. It became a great city of wealth. Now listen, it became a great city of wealth and wisdom to earn and keep that wealth and wickedness to use that wealth. There was a hill overlooking the city called Acrocorinth, and on it was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty, which housed 1,000 temple prostitutes, which stimulated sexual indulgence, so much so that there was a saying, to play the Corinthians is to play the harlot. Many who responded to the gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul at one time were adulterers, covetous, drunkards, effeminate or homosexuals, extortioners, fornicators, idolaters. They were also revilers and thieves. But when they heard the gospel and were converted, they were washed, sanctified, and justified, but some of the grave clothes still hung on them just like it hangs on us. And we'll see this in our message this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 6. And because I want to concentrate just on one verse, I'll make a few words after each verse I had to read. Chapter 13, 1 to 2 Corinthians. 
This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, he quoted that from Deuteronomy 19.15. What he was saying is that he was going to come with witnesses to prove the sin was coming into the camp. Second, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time, and being absent, now I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. And just as he had that man of, that was in sin in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, excommunicated, that is what he was threatening, excommunication. Verse 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but it is mighty in you, they would not accept his authority as an apostle. They gave him trouble all the time. They wouldn't accept that he had the authority to govern them. Even though his preaching was delivering people from idolatry to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he really, they really gave him a rough time. Then verse 4, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And I can summarize that in one verse, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And he's referring to the power that was in Christ when he was raised from the dead, and the new life is in us when we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then verse 5, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And that word reprobates, you can take from Jeremiah 6 and 31 says, he told about the people in the Old Testament, he says, you are reprobate silver, and reprobate silver is good for nothing, worthless. And that's what he's speaking about, those in his day, believers in his day. There's two phrases there I'd like to call attention to. One, in the faith, and it's an acrostic that you can uh, keep, uh, you can remember this, it's easy. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's saving faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. And then it says, Jesus Christ in you. What he was saying is that the temple of the body is to house the spirit of the living God. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the pastor Bob was preaching on when he preached on Colossians. And then he would say in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And uh, he writing uh, to the, this church, <coughs> Uh, he was, let me uh, quote from uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and 17 to show you how important it is that we be mindful that if we are believing that Jesus Christ, our bodies are the temple of God. Listen to these words 
And from 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. What it means is to wither and to shrivel up. And that's why, again, you hear so many references to Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us. So therefore, let us live as though we are the dwelling place of eternal God who created this vast universe. And what I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to talk about four things as we examine ourselves. I'd like to talk about the look, the inward look. I'd like to talk about the outward look. I'd like to talk about the downward look. And I'd like to talk about the upward look. And that's the reason my prayer this morning was that we might see ourselves as God sees us. First, let us look at the inward look. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 5, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. No wonder the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 3, 4, and 5, for our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God in the pulling down the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that, uh, 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 that uh, is against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's why, so, by the way, how's your thought life before God? Consider that. How's your thought life this week? I remember when I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, my hometown, my brother, and he is a good, he can ask all kinds of questions. There was an aged pastor that was a pastor of our church. And one time my brother said to him, he says, what's, what's your thought life like? <laughs> and the, the pastor said, I wouldn't like to see it on the television screen. Our, our thought life can be horrendous because... As we think in our hearts, so are we. And that's the reason that Paul said to the church of Philippi, he said, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things you've seen in me and heard of me, do, and the peace of God shall be with you. And then, obviously, the thought life. Uh, one more verse. I want you to remember this. Uh, Proverbs 16, 2. Commit your work unto the Lord, and your thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 16, 2. Let, what about... Do you really love the Lord? You might say, yes, yes. Well, we'll see. They didn't love the Lord, and I can prove it. And in um, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, listen to what the apostle says. 
the more I love you, the less you love me. And if there was ever a representative of Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. So if they couldn't love the Apostle Paul, they certainly didn't love Jesus Christ. And this is so important looking inside, and that's the reason when Paul, uh, when the Lord Jesus uh, evaluated the churches in, uh, uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, he begins with Ephesus. And what does he say when he looks inside Ephesus? He said, you have left your first love. And why is that so important that we love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our heart, and our neighbor as herself. Why? Four times in Scripture it says to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. The reason that is, if we don't love him with all our mind, all our heart, and all our strength, we'll love something else. And that's why the Apostle Paul said to them, flee adultery. Something is an idol when you put it above the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words and then evaluate yourself. If you love me, Keep my commandments. John 10, 14. John 14, 15. John 15, 21. He that heareth my words and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I will love him, and my Father will love him. And someone said, the Lord, and we'll manifest ourselves to him. And someone said, why do you manifest yourself to us and not to others? Because he said in the verse, verse 23, he that loveth me will keep my word. And he's not going to expand. He's not going to manifest himself to those who hate him. And then, and then in uh, John chapter 15, verse 10, listen to these words. He that keepeth my words abideth in my love. Just as I keep my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I ask you this morning, do you really love the Lord? in the light of what we just read. Thirdly, they were not under Christ's authority. And Anthony, uh, Brother Anthony uh, ref referred to that uh, when he preached his message uh, uh, several weeks ago. To prove that, listen to uh, seven times, seven times in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, listen to how many times he uses the word Lord. Four times he uses the expression, Lord Jesus Christ. Two times, Jesus Christ the Lord. And one time, the Lord. And their lives proved that they were under his authority. And I believe, there's no way I can prove it, but they were so much not under the authority of the king, the Lord Jesus that a couple uh, that uh, Paul wrote this letter before he wrote the letter to uh, Romans, and when he wrote the Ro letter to Romans, look what he writes. He says, "If thou wilt shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." Well, we saw our thought life. We saw our love for God. We saw, are you under the authority of Christ this morning? And what about pride? 
Five times it says in the Bible that they were puffed up. And that word puffed up means hot air, hot air, pride. Pride, pride, pride. All of us are afflicted with pride, but some more than others. And pride is an imitation of Satan himself. There were divisions in the church. We say we are followers of Paul. We're followers of Cephas. We're followers of Paulus. We're followers of, uh, followers of, of Christ. And then we were uh, uh, so exalted. In other words, they put themselves above. In other words, if they're followers of Paul, we're more superior than you if you're a follower of uh, Cephas. And then they had spiritual, they were given spiritual gifts. They had so much where they caught up with spiritual gifts that they competition with each other. But the Apostle Paul says, why do you boast upon that which you've received? And if you have spiritual gifts, use them, but don't boast about it. We are what we are by the grace of God. And something else. They were so proud that they would not acknowledge sin. And sin is lawlessness against God. And then there's the outward look. I could go on, but for time's sake, I just want to, the outward look. They put Christ on the same level as man. When they said, some are followers of Paul, some are followers of Cephas. Some are followers of Paulus. Some are followers of Christ. They were putting Christ on the same level. And just like the apostle Peter, he didn't know he was doing that. But when they saw the transfiguration, what did he say? There on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he saw the glory of our Lord and Moses and Elijah, he said, we'll build three tabernacles, one for Elijah, one for Moses, one for you. He was putting Christ on the same level. He didn't realize, but that's what he was doing. The older I get, the more I love to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why I love to hear Bob, uh, Pastor Bob preach. He exalts Jesus Christ. And that's, they were not doing that. They're also gullible to outward appearance. 2 Corinthians 5.12. By the way, just one more thing. And this just grates me every time I hear it. When they demeaned the Lord Jesus, as I just shared with you, there are those today that refer to Christ as a man upstairs. When I hear that, it just boils my blood. He is almighty God who gives us life and breath each day, who gives us eternal life because he paid the debt for our sin and rose again to justify us. But getting back to uh, the gullible to outward appearance. They had men coming in that were very flashy. Uh, they maybe could crack jokes like some pastors do. They appealed to the flesh and they exalted them. But he said, look at those who direct their message to the heart. It's when the message is directed to the heart is when it's going to bring forth fruit. Not the flashy appearance. Why do you think Joel Osteen is so popular? I don't have to tell you. You know why he is. That makes you feel good. It flashing. It appeals to the flesh. And others like him. And then there was one other thing too. They love teachers. Like it says in 2 Timothy 4 and uh, 1, 3. 
They love to get teachers to suit their own passions. And that's why a preacher like Pastor Bob will never be popular because he doesn't preach to tickle or make you feel comfortable in your sin. He preaches direct. And that's why I've been with him going on 17 years because he's a man of God, a man that is, uh, is so uh, 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 under the authority of the Scripture that comes out every time he preaches. And one other thing they did on the outward look, they went to the heathen to settle disputes, which talks about that in Second Corinthians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and following. Why did they do that? Why did they go to the law, the heathen courts, to get, to get a, a settlement of a dispute between a brother or sister? Why didn't they go to the authority within the church, the elders within their church? I'll tell you why. Because of the climate there in Ephesus and in Corinth, if they went to heathen uh, 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 law, they could get a better financial settlement. That's the only reason they could have done that. But the apostle Paul said, it's better to suffer loss than bring reproach upon the name of Christ. How about how important is money to you? With regards how important money is to us is how we'll handle ourselves in a dispute where money is involved. Then, in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, and 18, they measured themselves spiritually by themselves, and they compared themselves among others. But Jesus said, follow me. Don't look at others. Follow me. What is it? You know why I dislike so much why I dislike so much at uh, memorial services when everything is expounded about how good someone is, how good, 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 good is. Why do they do that when it's the Lord knows who, what, where, like, I, what's important, what does he think of us? It doesn't matter what men say about me. What does the Lord say about me? What does the Lord say about you? Yes, God says, don't accept me. He says, follow me, follow me, follow me. By the way, where would a a person go if he followed you all day long? Where would they go if they followed me all day long? That's the reason my prayer in the beginning, I said, help us to see ourselves as God sees us. We can deceive ourselves, but we cannot deceive God. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart, why we do what we do if we're trying to draw attention to ourselves or if we're trying to draw attention to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the influence of this culture. And that day there was anarchy, there was sexual uh, uh, revolution. There was, uh, I told you a little bit what was going on, but what's going on in our day? The sexual revolution that was apparent back in those days is very much in vogue here today in in our time. And it's tearing the church apart. It's tearing the church apart. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. 
Then there's the CRT, the critical race theory. And as Vadia Bakum said, what the Marxists are doing, they're trying to divide the people of God and getting our, our, our minds and hearts focused on that, which is on the horizontal. Yes, there's been justice been done, but the, but the way to deal with it is the word of God. The word of God will bring conviction where we've been wrong. And the church is being divided by social justice, the critical race theory, and all that other things that the, this world is coming up with. The whole purpose is not to, uh, to correct the past. The whole purpose is to divide. I can say that with all the within myself, because I know what's happening. Everything to split up the church. Brother against brother, sister against sister. We need to guard against that. And we need to guard, be careless about wrong companions. And they evidently were having wrong fellowship with each other because the apostle had never read 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 18. He says there, what Communion hath Christ with Belial. What communion is there righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion is there the temple of God with idols? And what communion is there believers with infidels? Yes. We are to be uh, reach out to the unsaved like uh, I talked to uh, 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 Brother um, Anthony last night. And he had a wonderful day yesterday, and so did I have a wonderful day last night. I went out for two hours. I, I walked two miles, and I cannot tell you how wonderful it was to, to so many people to give the gospel to, to talk to them. It was just, it was glorious. And that's what we want to do. We want to, to, to drive home, not with, no, with loving, with a love in our hearts to reach out people. I, 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 in my old age, I've never been so excited. About, about ministry. And that's not to impress you. It's just to encourage you that there's no, you never get too old to serve the blessed Lord. And then the downward look, and this is what I want to talk about. Do you know how many times the word fornication was used in the New Testament and directed to Corinth? No less than 11 times. That's how bad it was. 11 times more than any other sin. The environment in Corinth helped lead to sexual sin, the the unscrupulous business dealings, the uh, uh, pagan practices, idolatry and all that. But it's tearing our church apart in our day. And I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to I wanna read to you. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 13 to 18. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 18. Please, I want you to look at this. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You get that? Let me repeat it. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? 
For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And what we're doing in fornication is we're taking him along with us when we commit that fornication. Think of that. We take him along. That's what it's saying. And that's what it says here in 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Joseph. Joseph. When he was faced with a woman in a birthday suit, and she said, lie with me, lie with me. He fled. He fled, got out as soon as he could possible. Because he would rather have the blessing of God upon him than a few minutes of pleasure. And unfortunately, people say, people say, oh, well, in this realm, even among Christians, what well, we show our love to each other when we can have this intimacy. No, 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 you're not showing love. You're showing lust. Because if you showed love, you'd want to wait to get the full blessing of God upon you. That's why it says the mar- marriage. <laughs> That's why it says, excuse me for getting excited. That's why it says marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but fornicators God will judge. It's a big blot upon the church today. Uh, true love weighs, as I said. See, this downward look, I forgot to tell you this in the beginning. I wanted to show in this downward and the upward look, I wanted to show you this. Listen to these words from Matthew 7, 13, 14. It says, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is a gate, and broad is a way, and may there be that follow it, and it leads to destruction. See, this is the downward look. That's the, what I wanted to talk about. The, uh, the, the third, the downward look, because sex is so rampant, not only in that day, but in this day, I want you to see that's a downward look when we try to find satisfaction in life through sexual pleasure. The broad way is to walk governed by feeling, not by truth. But listen to Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Why is God's word shunned so much today? Because it is light. It dispels the darkness. Proverbs 1, 104. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Again, in uh, Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of thy word give the light. And it gives understanding to the simple, not too proud to understand it. And then Proverbs 6.23, Thy word is a lamp, thy law is light, and reproof and instructions of the way of life. The church at Thyatira, led by Jezebel, was seducing the people again and again and again, encouraging them to go into fornication. And look what God says. Listen to what he says.
Well, I'll have to go there. <laughs> I thought I had it uh, in my... Come with me to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And look at verse 23. Verse 22. Verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And listen, and all the church shall know that I am he which searcheth the mind and hearts, and will give unto every one of you according to your works. We see each other face it, but he looks inside us what is going on. Now we go to the upper look, and it says, enter at the straight gate. Yes, it's narrow, but it leads to the way of life. And few there be that find it. Many on the downward look are going the downward way. They're going the broad way. But what they're doing is they're going to the way of destruction. And that's why, the, that's why Paul said to the church, examine yourself to see if you are reprobates, to see if you're real, to see if Christ indeed does live in you the hope of glory. Now look at the upper look. There is only one family only one family out of that church where, where, where they were told that they were on the upward look because it says just one family, Stephanus. They were the first fruits of the Apostle Paul's ministry and what they devoted themselves, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And not only did that, they refreshed the Apostle Paul, not only by giving substance to him, but by encouraging him by their lives, growing in grace and the knowledge. And you want to you refresh the heart of Pastor Bob? Let him see his ministry having effect upon your life, that, that it's changing your lives. That's what happened to Stephanus. Him and his family, the gospel was changing the lives, and they refreshed the apostle Paul. Then, in just a few other illustrations, in Smyrna, uh, they suffered greatly. They were the persecuted church. They said... The, the Lord said to them, yes, some of you will be put in prison, some of you will die. But he said, then he said, hold on. He said, for yours is the crown of victory. He said, you're spiritually rich. You're spiritually rich. Yours is the crown of victory. What did he mean by that, crown of victory? The crown, a crown of life, he says, the crown of life. What do you mean? It's a crown of victory over the adversary. In other words, when, when we're faced with temptation and, we, uh, and, and persecution and we hold out, we're winning a victory over the adversary because it's the adversary that, uh, uh, that persecutes. And that's what was happening to the church in uh, Smyrna. And the apostle Paul said, you will have a crown of life. You'll be victorious over your adversary. Then, in some degree, uh, then uh, the Philadelphia church they had the upper look. 
because God had set the door wide open for them and no one could close. In other words, they had such a love for the people without hope, without love, that they, uh, uh, they were out to reach people with the gospel. And, 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 and that's, that's an evidence of a church that is a, 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 a... That's a church that really wants to evangelize. When we see people on their way going to hell, and we care about that, and we reach out to them with the gospel, and that's exactly what the church of Philadelphia does. And he, he said, he, twice he said that, two times, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Two times he said that. You've kept my word and two times you've not denied my name. They, the church of Philadelphia understood what Matthew 6, and 34 says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There was a, that's exactly what they did. And that's what God wants us to do, to seek first the kingdom of God. And as we seek first the kingdom of God, we reach out to others to bring them into the fellowship to be part of the family of God. Because the more the, the, the kingdom of God increases, the more he's glorified. In some degree, both of these imitators of Christ were both imitators of Christ. You remember what the Lord said in John 8, 26, 29? He said, all that I teach you, all that I preach you, is not from me, but it's from my Father. And both these churches were not speaking about themselves. They were exalting Jesus Christ. And not only that, the Lord said, I do all those things to please him. And both these churches did that to please the Lord Jesus. We please him when our hearts are conquered by his love. We please him when we give ourselves to him, not to ourselves, but to him. Oh, I cannot tell you that what's flowing through my veins in my old age. I just, I just love to be involved in ministry. Poor as it is, I love to be involved in ministry and to share what I know is true with others. There are two things that uh, I'd like to just speak about uh, on the upward look. They saw their lives as expendable. You remember what uh, the apostle uh, Paul said in Acts 20, 24? He said, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself, but that I might finish my course and testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Both these churches, they saw themselves as expendable. And that's the reason down through the history of the church, you have the people giving themselves, they saw their lives expendable to go out in dangerous area to expand the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then one more. The upper look is to delight in the instruction the apostle Paul gave in Colossians 3.22, Whatever they did, it was to the glory of God. See, the upward look and the narrow way uh, uh, can be summed up like this. Well, before I say this, uh, both the first and second epistles of, of, of Peter to the church of Corinth could be summed up like this in one verse. Like the, Paul, uh, the, the apostle gave to the church of Philippi. 
He said, only let your manner of life be as it becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ. That whether I come to you or else be absent, I may hear your affairs. That you, with one mind and one mouth, you stand fast in the spirit. Not to be nothing terrified by your adversaries, which of them is a token of your perdition. But you're looking on to Jesus, the author, and finish your faith. Now, another verse is to sum up the upward look. Though our Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen to eighteen, though our outer man perish, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. And though our light affliction is but for a moment, it's working in us a far more eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but praise God, the things which are not seen are eternal. And before I go to the application, I'd like to sing this, but I won't. Uh, it's so good. Uh, it's, a, it's a hymn, right? Listen to this. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. The chorus. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Just a few words on application. And what I read in um, uh, the opening, uh, Psalm 17, verse 3, listen to this, because it applies to each one of us. You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. What would he find us this morning? If he looks at each one of us, what would he find? Remember who we belong to. In 1 Corinthians 3.23, Paul said, Ye are Christ, and you belong to God. You're indwelt. You're indwelt, you're possessed. Second, uh, Titus 2, 11, 14 says, but the grace of God that brings salvation on uh, uh, men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldliness, but that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for our sins to redeem us from all iniquity that he might have himself a possession of his own. We've been bought with a price. What kind of a price? First Peter 1 Peter 1.18.19 says, For we have been redeemed, not with silver and gold, after the vain tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What amazing grace. The acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace to share the gospel, grace to live the gospel, and grace to have a living hope in the gospel. Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6, 1, 2, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard 
thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation I've helped thee. Behold, now, now is the day of salvation, not manana. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is the day to open your heart and let surrender your life to him. That's what it means to believe, to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and trust in his atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for salvation. Do you know that self-examination was the weekly practice of the Puritans? Every week they examined themselves in light of God's word to keep him on the narrow way. And then let us consider the benefits of self-examination. It keeps the heart from cooling to that which is spiritual and eternal. It, we want, this world is cooling our attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows by the way we worship. It shows by the way we give ourselves to him. We forget that we're here only such a short time, but eternity is forever. And we're to live and serve in the light of eternity, not just for these few short times that appeal to the body, but that which is the bigger picture. Don't let this world, this culture, blind you to the big picture. When we examine ourselves with the cross in mind, it'll keep our heart from indifference and it will keep our heart tender. You cannot look at the cross and not let, not let the emotional love flow through you that someone like Jesus Christ would pay the penalty for eternal death in our place. You cannot look that at the cross without your heart being tender and, and, and just captivated by such redeeming love. Psalm 9, 59, 6 says this, and we, this is, a, I thought upon my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. If self-examination is our desires and we do it, we'll always be in good fellowship with our Lord. Oh, it's so good to be in fellowship with him. So good, so good, nothing like it. So good to be in fellowship with him. Don't let this world and all its dainties keep you on the, on the road that leads to destruction. And always be submissive to God's will. Jesus says, I came not to serve, but to be served, and to give my life a ransom for many, and not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father which sent me. And that's why he says, he's my brother and sister who does the Father's will. You see, when, you're in, when you have close fellowship with the Lord, you're free from stubbornness. And many of us are stubborn. That hymn writer wrote, I surrender all. That's what brought me to faith in Jesus Christ when I surrendered my all. Oh, that hymn, I surrender all. All to him I owe. The Apostle Paul referred to another examination. Necessary before, before partaking of the Lord's Supper. 
I, I'm, I'm, the pastor Bob does a good job of that every time before we partake the meal. But I'm just, I want you to, the next time you partake the Lord's Supper, I want you to get a good look at the cross. I want you to see him writhing there, crying out. Uh, the only time he cried out, the whole time, all the suffering that he got from the hands of men, the only time he cried out was when he was cut off from God, when he bore the wrath of God in our place. You cannot, you cannot let that, uh, uh, let, uh, meditate upon that and then uh, eat and drink like you're just eating drink, uh, uh, grape juice and, and, and the uh, bread. No, you realize that when you take the cup, you're really, you're seeing the blood of Christ that he shed. And when you take the wafer, you're seeing his body that bore our sin, his own body. Next time, make sure you look at the cross before you dare come up and take part of the bread and the cup. And make sure your heart is right with God. Now, I said a lot, but I'm going to lead with this. Self-examination can only be fruitful in our spiritual life if we have the spirit of David. Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You heard this morning an old man's heart to younger people. Like last night, I came across nine young people. I was telling uh, Anthony this. And they're wild and restless but I had a chance to share the love of God with them. What a great privilege. What a great privilege to tell people about the love of God. Yes, they were, they, they, they were the servants of the evil one. And some of them took by the truck and, and tore it up right in my face. And I picked up the pieces. I said, you just tramped on the word of God. You just tore apart the word of God. And one of the young people said, here, I don't want to do that. Here, give it. He gave it back. But there was maybe four or five that were really touched by, oh, we are what we are by the grace of God. But I just, I just encourage you all. The purpose of this message was my prayer in the beginning. Look at yourself as God sees you. Please, if you can do that, then this message will be worth something. Almighty, eternal God, we just pray your word will not return void and will become more like Jesus. In his precious name, amen.